So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how's this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch and take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. And as a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's session will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes, including sex and related topics. Thanks for joining us today. We are really excited to be covering one of Dr. Fran's favorite TV shows. Oh, I wish my mom was a sex guru. Trust me, you don't. The students at the school need your help and we need their money. I'll deal with the business end of things and you can do the therapy. Therapy? Yeah, sex therapy. Like your mom. Wow, sex therapist. This could be awesome. We could be popular. I'm addicted to wanking. My pubes are out of control. I wish I could be a normal kid with a normal dad, with a normal dick. What kind of man do you want to be? What kind of man do you want me to be, Dad? You can't choose who you're attracted to. You can't engineer a relationship. I don't believe in love. You are who you are. Don't let anyone take that away from you. I still think it's weird a teenage boy's a sex therapist. We're putting the Netflix show Sex Education on our couch. Sex Education follows 16-year-old Otis Milburn along with his friends and schoolmates. Interestingly, Otis's mother is a sex and relationship therapist, while Otis, on the other hand, is very nervous about his own sexual exploration. Despite his own sexual nervousness, Otis discovers that he's picked up some skills from his mother, and he and a new friend Maeve start a sex clinic at school, charging his peers for sex advice. So as you might imagine, there is a lot of great stuff uh, to discuss with sex education. So we wanted to pick this show um, for a few different reasons. One, I've been dying to do this show for since we started this <laughs> podcast, and Dr. Sam finally agreed. Um, I think it's a really great show overall. Um, it also just has a really interesting, unique portrayal of therapy. Not only is it um, diving a little bit more into kind of like sex and relationship therapy, which isn't something we've covered a lot on the podcast, but also it's being um, done by a 16-year-old, so that's unique in itself and then also we really wanted to celebrate pride this month by choosing a show that has a really nice thoughtful and diverse representation and portrayal of lgbtq plus youth i definitely agree dr fran and i just want to add i had not seen sex education yet but now that i have i also agree that it is a great show and i'm really excited to talk about it in today's session So let's start off discussing the therapy as seen in sex education. And it's important to note there's two different portrayals of therapy in sex education. So first we see, um, you know, Dr. Jean Milburn, Otis's mother. She's an actual licensed sex and relationship (laughs) therapist. Then we have a second portrayal that's done by Otis, who again is 16 years old. He's not licensed. He has no training or background in education. Um, His experience is listening to his mom conduct therapy sessions through his like air conditioning vent um, and reading her books. (laughs) and different things like that. But we wanted to focus a little bit more on Otis's kind of quote therapy portrayal um, for today's episode. And then hopefully we'll do another episode in the future on um, Dr. Milburn's uh, more accurate or at least more professional, ideally, therapy portrayal in another episode. Yeah, definitely. And I think Dr. Fran makes a great point because most of Otis's experiences are probably coming from um, those types of situations where he's overhearing. And also, you know, in watching the show, maybe just some of the ways that um, Jean interacts with Otis because she does tend Mm -hmm. to like, as he likes to say, like therapize. So um. yeah, we could spend a whole episode talking about Otis and Jean's relationship, which maybe we will do in the future, but not today. 
Yeah, there are a lot of great themes in sex education with um, the youth and development and relationships. But today we're going to be focusing on the therapy piece and talking about Otis. So, you know, how does Otis discover that he is um, a quote unquote in his mind therapist? Uh, He runs into a situation where he finds a classmate named Adam in the bathroom stall and he has had an erection that will not go away because he took Viagra after experiencing problems um, having sex with his girlfriend. Uh, And while speaking to Otis, he reveals that he's been having trouble having sex with his girlfriend and feels a lot of pressure um, related to some rumors about the size of his penis and the fact that his father is the school headmaster and he thinks that all of these things are kind of just leading to um, difficulties for him. So Otis ends up giving Adam advice and the advice ends up being helpful and allows Adam to successfully have sex with his girlfriend again. Um, It doesn't all work out for Adam because he ends up breaking up with his girlfriend and is still upset with Otis, but this leads to Otis discovering that he has this potential skill set. Another classmate then starts to arrange for Otis to meet with schoolmates and have what they call a sex clinic and charge their peers for receiving this sex We'll call it advice from Otis. Um, Just as Dr. Fran mentioned, we do want to note that it is not ethical what Otis is doing. So he is charging people um, for giving them professional sex advice. And as we noted, he is not a professional and he is not a therapist. So when we say therapy and talking about Otis, we mean more like the advice or the services that he is charging and providing. (laughs) I think also something important to note that this classmate of his who's helping him run the clinic, he definitely has a crush on. So his <laughs> motives aren't entirely pure. I mean, I think he definitely does genuinely want to help people and enjoy helping people, but he also wants to impress Maeve and wants to continue to spend time with her and different things like that. Great point. <laughs> So we wanted to kind of jump in and talk about um, Otis's first appointment. So we've already, uh, Dr. Sam did a nice summary of kind of his first experience providing, you know, therapeutic advice or um, things like that to Adam. But when he first kind of has that situation where he's got a scheduled appointment, someone's paid for his services, um, he sits down and he really kind of bombs it. Hello, I'm your therapist. Hey, how might I serve you? This is weird. Can't we just talk face to face? No, we shouldn't see each other. Um, he <laughs> just really doesn't develop a lot of like rapport or like a relationship at all. He just jumps right into all this like these clinical terms. Jargon is like what we call that in psychology when you're just using like the very clinical scientific words for something that just um, is not something the lay person or the normal person might know about or understand. You encountered some problems during fellatio, which resulted in you experiencing a bout of emesis, correct? Emesis? Uh, Vomiting. Yeah, I puked on his dick, all right? And it doesn't help that he is conducting this um, quote-unquote session in a bathroom, like an abandoned bathroom that is filled with asbestos. So not the great, Mm -hmm. like, therapeutic climate. And on top of that, the the peer, the friend that's coming to him to talk is wanting to talk about something that's very kind of embarrassing and private for her and he does not make her feel comfortable or does not really help her much at all. She ends up kind of storming out and saying that she wants her money back because the advice he gave was unhelpful. Right, and very like off-putting. He starts talking about and gets on this whole tangent, I think because he's nervous and, you know, he's kind of an awkward kid a little bit, you know, not always the most adept at social skills, but, you know, he kind of starts rambling about these pretty off-putting topics and she kind of runs away and is like, "Why, why did I pay for that? That was not therapy. That was not helpful. Well, did you know that humans are not the only species to perform fellatio? Bats have been known what to What do bats have to do with any of this? Well, at the zoo, I once saw a chinchilla flayed itself. No, not at all. And probably, um, I think Maeve says it best, too. Like, after that session, she mentions, like, we want to help people, like, not traumatize them. So not yeah. a successful first attempt. Um, but, you know, Otis does get better or we see we see him become a little more comfortable with these skills so later when him and Maeve are essentially trying to advertise um, for their services they go to a party and they decide they're going to offer free therapy to try to get some positive word of mouth Um, and actually it seems to be going pretty disastrous they're unable to really recruit people that are interested but Otis finds himself in the bathroom um, with a female classmate that has a problem so let's kind of listen to a little bit about how that session goes. Okay, let's just, let's calm down and most importantly, listen. This isn't working. When we first started dating, I used to get tongue-tied and flustered. I still get like that sometimes. I can't believe she wants to be with me. I like everything about her. 
everything. Do you hear what you're saying, Kay? Yeah. Well, I still don't believe it. Okay. Kate, what do you like about yourself? Nothing. Kate, I want you to name five things that you like about yourself, and it can be anything. <sighs> Come on. I'm quite good at hockey. Can make dumplings from scratch, which is actually really hard. Have a photographic memory. Oh, I have this really spooky ability at guessing which nationality someone is just by the way they walk. She does. <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> Come on, one more. I think I have nice hair. It's so shiny. <laughs> if you don't like yourself, how are you supposed to believe that Sam does? I wish you could see yourself the way I do. Because you're the best. Guys. I mean, this is great. I think we're making real progress. So in that clip, we really hear Otis de-escalate the situation between this couple. He kind of gets them to calm down. And we do see him giving some advice about, um, like, listening to each other and communication. Yeah, and I think one thing I really like that he does here is he has um, the girl in the relationship, you know, mention five things that she likes about herself. That's actually, I don't know about you, that's actually a strategy that I've used in sessions, not always in couples therapy, but in, you know, individual working on like self-esteem or just kind of trying to highlight that for some people that can be a really difficult task and she's able to do it and it helps her kind of realize there are some things that she likes about herself and there are some things that her partner likes about her and that really seems to give a nice breakthrough for them so I think that's something he does pretty well I agree and um, it is a strategy I use often actually I like to often incorporate like strength-based techniques in the work that I do with the the youth that I work with and in particular kind of having them identify like positive traits and qualities and things that they like about themselves and you're right it can really vary based on how um, easy or more of a challenge that task is Um, so you know I think it's interesting that he's able to kind of get them both to calm down Um, you know the the boyfriend is saying a lot of positive things about the girl but she's in a place where she's really upset or not really ready or open to listening to them and then she's able to kind of reflect on the positive things that she feels about herself and the boyfriend agrees and they kind of get to a more positive place together with Otis's help. Um, And again, next session, also in the bathroom. (laughs) Yes, that is true. A a nicer bathroom, at least this time, but still a bathroom. I think it's also important to note, I feel like Otis performs better he does better in his therapeutic role when he doesn't have as much pressure on him i mean even in the same night like you were mentioning he's giving out these like free samples of therapy and again he's like forcing it so he's kind of awkward Mm -hmm. and you know saying things that are off-putting to people but then when he's just genuinely trying to help and then using potentially some of the strategies that maybe he's heard his mom use or that just naturally come to him um, he's really able to you know perform better and be more helpful in that environment than when he's like putting a lot of pressure on himself to like be a person therapist or things like that it's almost as if just being a good listener and like a friend is a better skill set than paying people and pretending to be their therapist for him yes it is like that So really after uh, the bathtub scene, we see that Otis gains a little bit of his groove back um, and him and Maeve start having a lot more success with the sex clinic. Um, He starts having a lot more successful uh, sessions. They're not as much in that sketchy asbestos infested bathroom. (laughs) um, And he starts to, you know, have a bigger impact and have more successful sessions with people. Um, And we wanted to just briefly talk about another kind of important scene that comes up in the show when they're at the, you know, iconic middle school or high school dance um which first of all their dance is like many shows like absolutely absurd compared to like what high school dances really look like (laughs) definitely at least Uh, in my experience (laughs) yeah my high school middle school dances were never that cool um but we see him um there's this kid it's me Liam. Who he has kind of had some interactions with. He's been trying to get some advice from him about dating this girl who's not interested in him. I love you, Lizzie. Do you love me? No. And Otis tries to give him some pretty direct and clear advice of, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like she's interested in you and you just have to accept that. Um, But he doesn't. And so he gets to this dance. He's really upset because this girl that he's interested in is not interested in him, not reciprocating those feelings. Um, He ends up taking some drugs and then kind of climbs up to the top of a, you know, pretend castle that they've built for the uh, for the dance. Come down this instant. 
and (laughs) yes and starts you know basically threatening or you know yelling his um you know love for this woman or this girl at the top of this castle and try to make some big grand gesture but also making some potentially threats about ending his life or jumping because he's so upset about what's happening what's the point Lizzie doesn't love me nobody loves me and in this scene, this scene actually kind of bothered me because there are a ton of adults and like the headmaster and everyone's around. Um, and yet who comes to the rescue to defuse the scene? Otis. I'm gonna jump! Stop, Liam! Don't, don't do this. So, you know, this kid is kind of standing on the ledge of this castle. He is making um, unwanted and uncomfortable comments towards this girl who is not, you know, reciprocating any of these feelings and then threatening to hurt himself if she doesn't agree to kind of be with him or um, love him the same way that he thinks he loves her. Um, And so in this scene, we do see Otis kind of give a very heartfelt speech that kind of reveals a little bit more maybe even about how Otis is feeling about a certain clinic uh, director, clinic manager, whatever we'll call Maeve. I know what it's like when someone doesn't feel the same way about you. Someone you can't stop thinking about. It hurts. And kind of talks to the kid about sometimes, you know, the people that you have feelings for may not feel the same way and about how, you know, your life is still important and to continue. One day, you're going to meet someone who appreciates you for who you are. I mean, there's seven billion people on the planet. (laughs) I know one of them is going to climb up on a moon for you. And he does successfully get this kid to... um, come back off of the castle ledge and agree not to hurt himself intentionally. Really? Yeah, you're brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, again, we see Otis, you know, saying some really heartfelt and empathetic things. And I think one Mm -hmm. that shows how helpful it can be, like when you do understand another person's experience, that can be very powerful. He doesn't even have to say like, um, you know, specifically what his experience is, but being able to help that kid feel like at least that he really understands where he's coming from. But then also trying to be still very clear that like you, you are not going to get with this girl. She is not interested. You need to stop. But then instilling hope in him that, you know, an mm-hmm. optimism that just because she's not interested in you doesn't mean um, that it's the end of the world or that you need to end your life. There's still hope for you to find someone else who's going to be a better fit and actually love you back, which is more important. Um, Yes, I think he kind of paints a better picture for this kid. And, you know, the kid does end up actually hurting himself kind of because he falls down. But it's after he decides to not like purposely hurt himself. So I think that's another um, example of kind of Otis more in the kind of impromptu situation where it's not a scheduled person who's paying him, but still empathizing with others and providing advice that does seem to be helpful in the situation. Yeah, definitely. Don't necessarily have to be a therapist to do that. No. And again, Otis should not be doing it as a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe it shouldn't be him as a 16-year-old, like you mentioned, maybe a teacher or a school counselor or something like that should be the one intervening. Yes, it was a very serious situation. And everyone was like, okay, we're just going to take a step back and see how this plays out with the kid talking down the other kid. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, oh, you're doing a good job, Otis. You just take it, take it home from here. keep going and then the girl the poor girl that's kind of like the target of this uh, kid's affection she's kind of screaming things out like negative things like leave me alone or I don't feel the same way which you know are true and it's good that she's being assertive but are also not helpful in the situation (laughs) you're gonna make someone really happy one day but it will not be me not Lizzie definitely not Lizzie but someone yeah definitely Um, Let's kind of shift to another um, situation that is uh, this time it it's kind of like a hybrid because I don't know if she pays him. I don't think she ends up paying him. But um, Otis does have a friend in the show called Lily. um, And at one point, Lily approaches Otis. um, Well, actually, kind of let me give a little background about Lily. But for those of you who have watched the show and we hope you usually watch along with us, um, Lily often will approach um, other male students and just ask them to have sex with her. Let's skip the phone. Modesty, I'm down if you are. Down. Deflowering the maiden. Breaking the lawn chair. Skinning the fish. Your dick in my vagina, what do you say? Yeah, um... Um, So she does at one point ask Otis to have sex with her um, and they attempt to have sex. But Otis ends up having a panic attack. He gets, you know, as we mentioned, he's a little more hesitant about exploring um, his uh, exploring sex. And as soon as him and Lily kind of start to get a little bit closer, he ends up having a panic attack. So later, Lily comes to him and she expresses needing assistance because she has tried having sex and realizes that she has a little bit of a problem. Why do you want to have sex so bad? What do you mean? 
You just seem... Ow. You seem desperate to have sex. I don't know why. I don't know. I guess I just feel like if I don't do it, then I'll graduate school and I won't have had sex. And then I'll go to uni and I'll be behind everyone and no one will have sex with me because I'm just a weird virgin girl. And then I'll never have sex because I'll be too embarrassed and weird and virginal and then I'll grow old and die alone in my house where I'll be eaten by my pet python. <laughs> okay, you've skipped a whole load of steps there. I just don't want to be left behind. I just want it over with. I know it feels like everyone's doing it. Yeah, some people are, but most of us aren't yet. It's not a race. I think that makes sense. Good. We just rode down this hill for no reason, didn't we? Yeah. So in that clip, we hear Otis really tries to get to the bottom of why Lily's been having some performance issues. So what we don't hear in the clip is that, um, like Dr. Sam mentioned, Lily does try to have sex um, with someone that she's interested in, and um, she's not able to. And so she kind of talks to Otis about this, and he tries to use this interesting strategy of having them ride down a hill. He's hypothesizing <laughs> that it's because she's having this over sense of control, that she's trying to control things by kind of not allowing herself to give in to, um, you know, sexual pleasure or intimacy or different things like that. So he's like, we're going to ride down this hill and it's going to be a way for you to let go and loosen up and um, like have, le have um, less of a sense of control, basically. And that part doesn't really work so much, but what we do <laughs> hear in the clip is that he tries to get to the bottom of what's the real issue here um, and kind of explores with her, you know, why is it so important for you to have sex? And she really opens up about that. Mm -hmm. She does. I really like this scene. I think it's also interesting because when um, Lily decides to take Otis's advice and ride the bicycle down this hill, she also offers Otis, like, why don't you ride down the hill with me too? Like, you're also very nervous. And he kind of says, like, oh, never mind. This is stupid advice. He tries to backtrack. But then Lily just goes and she rides down the hill. Um, and so Otis decides to go down with her. And I think it's really nice when they're having that conversation because he's kind of exploring her um, focus and desire for control and then kind of realizing some of his own like anxieties and kind of where some of the difficulties with kind of intimacy might be coming from for him as well. Mm -hmm. I think this clip also highlights a really good example of what we call catastrophizing, um, <laughs> which is what we see there with Lily, where she has one thing like, you know, if I don't have sex in high school, then mm -hmm. this bad thing's going to happen and this bad thing's going to happen. And then I'm going to die alone and my cat's going to eat me. Right. So and yes. that's something that all of us do. All of us have these kind of like snowball or catastrophic mm -hmm. thinking that comes up um, and it can lead to anxiety in a minimal way, but it can also lead to anxiety in a much more like debilitating way um, and kind of can get in the way of different things so I thought I think that's also just a nice thing to point out and kind of highlight and then Otis tries to work on backtracking that and saying like whoa you know you can't get it's not just A to B automatically there's a lot of steps in between that we might be skipping Exactly. And I think he kind of realizes his own anxiety with that because, you know, we all, like you mentioned, Dr. Fran, we all have our own anxiety. We've all had those kind of snowball moments where anxiety is kind of getting the better of us or our worries are getting the better of us. But, you know, anxiety can help us like perform well in a test, maybe perform well sexually to a certain degree, right? If you have some anxiety about, um, pleasing your partner or having a fun time, whatever the case may be. But once the anxiety gets to the point where it is debilitating and not allowing you to like do well on the test or do the things that you want to do, open up or be intimate with someone else, that's where it's problematic. And so we're kind of, you know, Lily is realizing that and trying to kind of approach it head on with Otis's assistance. And he's kind of realizing that he has those, like he has his own anxieties that are holding him back too. Yeah, and we do see him try to confront his own anxiety at the end of season one, and then we see a little <laughs> bit more of that in season two, which maybe we'll talk about in another session. Okay, so now we want to shift kind of focus from talking about Otis and his um 
providing sexual advice to his friends. <laughs> and like Dr. Fran mentioned, we might revisit some things about Otis and maybe some other portrayals of the therapy that his mother does in later sessions. Um, but now we want to shift and focus on the topic of LGBTQ plus mental health in teenagers through the lens of the show. So before we discuss the characters and kind of dive into the specifics, we think it's important to provide some general information uh, related to mental health in the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, and a lot of the research and data we'll be discussing today comes from the Trevor Project. Um, it's an American nonprofit organization that's focused on suicide prevention efforts among lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth. Um, they have some really amazing resources. Um, if you haven't visited our website before, we actually have for every episode um, a little blog post that has glossary and references. So we'll put some resources from the Trevor Project and some of the information we'll be talking about today on there. So you can go free, feel free to go check it out. Um, so a lot of the data I'm about to share comes from the 2019 Trevor Project National Survey on LGBTQ mental health. Um, there's a new survey, I believe, coming out in 2020, probably this month, I think. Um, so that should be updating soon. Um, but this one was from last year, and it had over 34 thousand respondents which if you are in any kind of scientific <laughs> or especially mental health or you know social sciences that is a huge sample i mean you know i'm lucky if i get a few hundred participants in the <laughs> surveys that i work with so having that many is huge yeah the trevor project you know they do very robust research so a lot of the things like dr fran mentioned do come from them i think it's great work that they do and the resources that they also provide are just very um are just phenomenal you know it's like they really um not only are they getting information and data from this population but then also kind of giving back and having resources and making sure to help youth out like whether it is to help with um depression or anxiety or, um, you know, suicide prevention. Yeah, and one of the things they're most known for is having a specific suicide hotline for LGBTQ plus youth that is manned 24-7, um, 365 days a year. So that's an amazing resource that they're able to provide specifically for that community that maybe oftentimes doesn't feel comfortable reaching out to other national or um, international crisis lines or things like that. And that is a hotline that I frequently provide to my patients um, as a resource. Uh, and I know from people I've worked with, it has been described as being very helpful. Good, yeah, that's awesome. And so just some background statistics um, from that survey that I mentioned. So their survey found that less than half of LGBTQ respondents um, were out to an adult at school and they were less likely to disclose gender identity than sexual orientation. So I thought that was kind of interesting to think about um, through the lens of sex education, but just in general, um, that a lot of individuals aren't out to people um, at their school or even at home um, about their gender identity um, or sexual orientation. And what they also found was um, particularly um, for individuals in uh, gender identity and sexual orientation minority groups that oftentimes there were um, higher rates of discrimination or even violence. So uh, up to 80% almost of transgender and non-binary youth reported being subjected to discrimination due to their gender identity and 70% of LGBTQ youth reported discrimination due to sexual orientation. Um, so those are really high numbers. I mean, the majority, vast majority of these individuals um, mentioning that they've had discrimination specifically based on their identity status. And those individuals are much more likely to attempt suicide um, than individuals who don't report discrimination, which is super important um, to be noting. Definitely. I think those are very important numbers, very unfortunate numbers, and important to note that because if people are um, experiencing discrimination, they are at higher risk uh, for suicide. Um, I think it's also important to note that 71% of LGBTQ youth reported feeling sad or hopeless for at least two weeks in the past year. So also a very large percentage of these youth that are experiencing um, depressed mood um, throughout the year at least once. Mm -hmm. And then relatedly, the uh, rates of considering suicide is pretty high within this population. So within the last year, up to 39% of youth in this population had reported seriously considering attempting suicide, um, with more than half of transgender and non-binary youth having seriously considered. So again, we're seeing really high rates of uh, mental health concerns among this population. And unfortunately, there are some mental health disparities among this population because oftentimes youth aren't able to be connected with counselors who are affirming and um, who are open to mm -hmm. discussing these issues and different things like that. We're definitely seeing more of that, which is really great. Um, but we do see uh, those disparities among this population. 
And along those lines, we want to highlight that there is some good news. So um, the studies have found that having at least one accepting adult reduced the risk of suicide attempts in the past year by 40%. So that's huge. So as uh, Dr. Fran and I have highlighted, these youth are at higher risk for suicidal ideation, for having sad and hopeless feelings, um, and even seriously considering suicide. And that's why, you know, having access to resources of affirming therapy and things like that are so important. But really just having one accepting adult in the youth's life can make such a huge positive difference. Yeah, I love that statistic. I think it's really promising. And obviously, there are so many different factors that can go into a youth's experience and why they might be thinking, um, you know, about ending their life or having these different mental health concerns coming up. But just the idea that we one person can make such a huge difference in someone's life is, you know, really, um, you know, nice to think about. Yeah, it definitely I feel like is inspiring. I know in our line of work, like when we are fortunate to meet youth that identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community, and being able to be an accepting and an affirming adult and seeing the positive impact that it can have on people, um, you definitely see that and being able to help these kids so that they know like there are people out there that are accepting. Yeah, definitely. And so now that we've gotten a little bit of a background of some eventual health disparities among the LGBTQ plus youth population, we did want to talk about one of my favorite characters, not even on just <laughs> sex education. I would say he is one of my favorite characters across many different shows that I watch, Eric. Eric is great. He's also one of my favorite characters, definitely in the show and just kind of generally. He's a very um, uh, just great character. Um, so kind of to start off, let's kind of talk about a little bit of Eric's background. So we meet Eric early on in season one um, as he's Otis's best friend. And Eric is a Nigerian Ghanaian gay male uh, that comes from a religious background and community. He lives with his mother and father and several sisters. And overall, Eric, kind of as I think Dr. Fran alluded to, he's very high energy. He seems very optimistic most of the time and is just a fun-loving guy with a great laugh. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Sam and I were just talking about uh, there's a whole like five-minute YouTube compilation clip of just scenes of Eric laughing at Otis. Um, and yeah. <laughs> it just cracks me up. His, his laugh is just so infectious. Um, even though like as I'm watching some of those clips, I'm like, he's not being a very good friend by laughing at Otis talking to him about these very sensitive things but I just can't help but you know smile when Eric is just like dying laughing at Otis it's true and Eric also has just you know a great smile and a great laugh so I think when you see him smile when you hear him laugh it's easy to kind of join in and I will say one of the best parts of the show at least for me is the relationship between Eric and Otis and I know they have you know which we'll get into I know they have some ups and downs but I just think the amount of time that they've known each other and the support that they show for each other is really um it seems like a realistic friendship to me and I think you know even when Eric is kind of laughing at Otis usually he'll try to empathize and normalize usually it's about Otis like being sexually afraid to masturbate or whatever it is and then he'll laugh so you know I, I just mm -hmm. think it's super funny <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And I think Eric's an interesting character because like uh, Dr. Sam alluded to, he does on the outside seem to be this very, um, you know, like unapologetic, proud, you know, out gay male in his um, community, which is very open and accepting, it seems like, but he is one of only two out gay men in his, um, in his school, at least during the first season. Um, and so, you know, he's playing his French horn in front of the entire school and, you know, wears these really awesome, you know, um, very like colorful and sometimes mismatching clothes. He has his own style, right? Mm -hmm. So he kind of seems on the exterior um, to really be just kind of really proud and confident in like his himself. And, and that's great to see when you see Eric kind of like, you know, this is who I am and I'm putting it out there and I'm proud of it. But then at the same time, we also do see instances where Eric does appear to be a little bit more worried about being socially accepted. He'll make a lot of comments, you know, when him and Otis are chatting about how they're not invited to the parties or he gets really excited about the sex clinic because he sees that as something that might help um, lift their status at the school, like might make them more popular with other kids. Um, so he's always really um, kind of thinking about being socially accepted and kind of thinking about how to raise his status among his peers. So, you know, I think that this is pretty developmentally appropriate at this age. You know, um, in this age range, they're about 16 years old. They're trying to kind of form their identities, kind of gaining more autonomy and independence and kind of trying to figure out more who they are. But then there are a lot of social pressures and a lot of pressures to fit in with their peers. 
Yeah, definitely. I think you're totally right that this is a pretty normal thing, right, that we see in teenagers where they do want to, you know, be seen as popular and be socially accepted by their peers. Um, There is another element, though, for Eric, and we kind of learn a different side of him that while he's at home, um, he sometimes will put on makeup and, you know, explore kind of different expressions of, you know, his um, like clothing style and just different things like that, especially things that might be thought of as like traditionally feminine clothing or makeup, different things Mm -hmm. like that. And he does seem to to hide this from others and particularly from his family. Yeah, there are several scenes. I think in one of the earlier scenes, we see him applying makeup and he like makes sure to lock the door. Um, and then when his dad comes to the door, he like quickly wants to put everything away um, before kind of presenting to his father. And then later, uh, Lily comes over. Um, and again, in true Lily form, propositions Eric for sex. Um, but Eric lets her know, you know, not really interested. I'm gay. Fuck, really? Yeah, properly. Um, and then Lily kind of starts looking around his stuff and sees like some of the beautiful clothing that he has. Uh, and she makes a comment to him about like, oh, like you like to wear women's clothing. Um, and he kind of becomes concerned about this comment and dismisses it uh, as something that he doesn't regularly do. Do you dress up like a lady? No. No, I mean, I like dressing up, but no, I'm not a lady boy or anything. So we see him kind of maybe uh, also trying to hide that aspect from peers. Um, And this is a scene actually where him and Lily, they end up, you know, kind of dressing up together. They put on fancy clothes, they put on makeup, and then his dad ends up walking in. Yeah, and so I think we get a little glimpse there and in a few other scenes about why Eric might be concerned about his family learning about some of these things that he's doing and this side of him. Um, you know, his parent or his dad in particular, we hear, you know, make a few different comments um, that might lead Eric to, you know, be a little ashamed of what he's doing or feel like there's something wrong with it or, you know, not feel comfortable expressing that in the way that he'd want to. Exactly. Like when he, when dad walks into that scene with Eric and Lily, he um, kind of asks Lily to leave and Lily kind of scurries out and then he makes a comment to Eric. Take that stuff off your face before your mother sees. So I feel like at least for me, when I was watching season one, I had a lot of sense like, you know, um, I knew that Eric was openly gay um, and I know that his dad had seen him in certain instances um, dressing more traditionally feminine or putting on makeup, um, which his dad always kind of like told him not to do but I also got the sense that dad was always telling him to like hide it from mom and the rest of the family so I wasn't really sure at certain points like how accepting his family was in season one Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even in season two, we learn a little bit more about it. But, you know, I think that's kind of an ongoing thing. And I actually, and we'll get into this in a minute, but I do think it's a nice depiction of that oftentimes within families, it can be more complex. It's not just one side of the spectrum of being 100% affirming or the other side being 0% affirming. There is oftentimes Mm -hmm. can be a lot of nuance. And we do learn a little bit in season one about um, some of dad's concerns with being, you know, um, kind of immigrating to the UK and, you know, how difficult it was Mm -hmm. for him to kind of adjust and adapt and fit in and um, that a lot of his fears about Eric expressing himself in certain ways comes from wanting to protect him. Eric, you can't go out dressed like this. Go and change. Dad, it's okay. It's a costume. Otis will be in costume too. We do it every year. It's fine. Put a coat on. It's not safe. And so while we can understand that, it obviously can come off as very, you know, unaffirming or um, kind of rejecting to Eric at times. Yeah, definitely kind of invalidating to the person that Eric is. Um, And so I think you're right. There are these fears from dad and even some fears that we see in Eric about uh, discrimination. So in one of the scenes that we see with Eric for his birthday, him and Otis, they have a tradition um, where they dress up for Hedwig, um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've heard really good things about it, but it's kind of like a cult classic musical, right? Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris played the character of Hedwig on Broadway. Um, I know that, and it was supposed to be great. So they dress up to go to Hedwig, and um, this is something they do annually. Um, But we do see, you know, Otis is off kind of doing some shenanigans with Maeve. Okay, it's not shenanigans. He is trying to help someone at that time. But he's off with Maeve, and he doesn't make it to meet Eric at the bus stop. And um, two, like, it seems like older males that are drinking, like, approach the bus stop while Eric is there waiting. And you do see some, like, uneasiness in Eric it does seem like he's a little bit worried of how these people are going to perceive and maybe interact with him 
Yeah, and I think that's such an interesting scene because I think you're sitting there being like, oh no, something bad's about to yeah. happen, which is exactly probably how Eric feels of like these two men approaching him and, you know, something bad's going to happen. And, you know, they're kind of like, oh wait, is it your birthday? Happy birthday, mate. Yeah. And like, it actually is a really like sweet interaction. So you're like, oh, okay, we dodged a bullet. Eric's fine. But then of course, unfortunately, that's not how the rest of the episode goes. Um, and so Eric does end up going by himself to into town um, to try to go see the show Otis again is kind of wrapped up in stuff that's going on with Maeve and one of their clients that they're working with well quote clients that they're working with (laughs) um and unfortunately with a you know just kind of a unfortunate series of events Eric ends up losing his like yeah jacket with all of his phone and all that stuff and so he ends up having to walk home it's such a difficult scene because even with the loss of his jacket when it's stolen um if you remember when he's about to leave the house his father even says like well wear a jacket and cover up so that you'll be safe so i think that there's like this sense of like the jacket is almost like a a security Mm -hmm. like almost like a security blanket or like a safe item for eric um and he kind of just leaves it on the bench to go look at the bus and comes back the jacket is gone with his cell phone and his money so he's left they're stranded um and he has to then like walk home and you can already see he's like uneasy from the loss of his items it's late at night he is dressed up uh like for the show as we discussed and unfortunately he has an interaction that does not go well like the initial uh, interaction where a male kind of starts to yell at him from the window of a car and basically asks him if he is a male uh and a male dressed as a woman and then gets out of the car and physically assaults and punches Eric so that he's kind of left there laying in the ground and it's such a heartbreaking scene yeah it's definitely really hard to watch and you know again I think is just one representation and Eric is not even in the scene dressing um this way because that's his gender expression or that's how you know it's because he's in drag for this show um but it doesn't really matter why he's you know dressed the way that he is that person's perceiving him a certain way and you know treats him um really you know, horribly. Um, and that's kind of an example, yeah. like we said before, of that this population can be at higher risk for discrimination and violent assaults like that, um, unfortunately, because of people's perceptions. And just in it, such an indication of the larger problem, because it shouldn't matter how someone is dressed or why that person is dressed right. this way, right? That That's like beside the point, like people should be able to express themselves in the way that they seem they want to and that they um, feel is best for them. Yeah, and I think I read some interesting articles just thinking about how we've got both Eric and Otis dressed up um, at the during the same episode. Yet um, we see that, and of course, Eric is the one that's like going into town versus Eric, um, Otis is in their kind of like more small, quiet, quaint town. But we do also see that Otis is a white male who is approaching other mm-hmm. people while he's dressed in drag and is not. Uh, violently assaulted versus we have Eric who's you know a black male who's dressed and drag and then he is assaulted so I do think that's just kind of an important point to note um, that individuals who are not only transgender or non-binary but um, also are of uh, minority statuses black or um, you know other marginalized groups are at higher risk for discrimination like that as well such an important point and I think you know we have a couple more things that we wanted to touch on with Eric but then that point specifically um, which is called intersectionality which is kind of those cross points of like the different identities that you're discussing so kind of like being part of the LGBTQ plus community also being black um, those types of things this is kind of the point where those identities like cross over and how someone um, within multiple of those or multiple identities um, could be at higher risk for things like this. Yeah, definitely. And so, like we said, it's a very heartbreaking scene. And then, unfortunately, it becomes even more sad because what we see after, one is that Otis is not a great ally. So Eric gets really upset, obviously, about what happens, and he goes to the one place that he says he feels safe, which is Gene and Otis's house. Um, And Otis is just very wrapped up in this whole thing that's going on with Maeve, which, to some extent, you know, teenagers do get wrapped up in things like that. And, you know, we can kind of understand to some extent, but he's not being a great ally here for Eric when Eric gets back and has been assaulted and um you know is really struggling with that um and then dad doesn't respond very well either when he finds out that eric has been assaulted 
Yeah, so I think that that part, um, you're right. It's kind of developmentally appropriate that Otis is kind of in his own world, focused on his own things. I think a big problem with that whole scene is Otis never even learns or even asks, really, like, um, Eric what has happened to him or how his experience of the night went because he's just so focused on his experience with Maeve Mm -hmm. um, and just leads Eric to say, like, you know, I came here because I was... I thought this was safe. Obviously not. He goes home to see dad. And then dad just kind of says like, If you're going to live like this, you have to toughen up. And so the end of that episode ends with um, Eric just kind of alone, um, upset in his room after the kind of horrible birthday that he has experienced. Yeah. And again, we hear dad is being very invalidating. And like, we get that it's coming from a sense of trying to protect him and saying, you know, if you're going to live like this, bad things might happen. But that's not what Eric needs or wants to hear right then. What he wants no. and needs is someone to be supportive and validating and understanding and, um, you know, kind of being there for him after this really traumatic event that has happened for him. And unfortunately, after this event, we do see a shift in Eric. So, you know, Eric and Otis, they kind of have this falling out. They're not speaking for a while. Um, Eric starts to kind of dampen his personality. So he begins wearing neutral clothes. Like, I think he just wears like a green t-shirt and a green jacket and like, you know, just very monotone, very neutral colors. He kind of has more of what you would see like as a sad mood. He appears more irritable and angry. And he has several instances where he lashes out. He yells out. At the um, like the swing band conductor, um, he punches another student, um, and you we can just really see that he's struggling following this event. Yeah, and I think this whole part is just again, I feel like I keep using the word heartbreaking. It's just like so upsetting because we go from having this like very bubbly, outgoing, um, you know, character who's just very lovable and bright all the time, and then seeing all that light just really sucked out of him. And I don't think it's just because of the event. Obviously, the event itself is very horrific, but it's also people's responses to that and feeling like he's very Definitely. isolated and alone. And I think again, this is just a good depiction of um, a representation of one example of how some those statistics we had talked about earlier can play out. So we've got a kid who has been assaulted based on uh, what someone perceived to be his gender identity, and he's feeling like he's isolated and lonely, he's having more depressed mood, and we could see how someone could go down a path to end up having, you know, more significant mental health issues. And luckily that doesn't happen for Eric in this situation, but we can see how that trajectory could develop. And social support is so important. And he, Eric lets us know he has identified Otis as a safe person. And as soon as he loses that safe person and kind of has that reaction from dad, I think you're 100% right in that he just probably feels 100% isolated and alone um, and just kind of retreats and withdraws into himself. And so we do see that like shift. Luckily, though, there is another shift in Eric. So, you know, um, I really like this scene in the show. But one day, Eric is like, I forget where he is. He's like out in the yard, though, and he sees a car drive by. And at first, I'm kind of nervous because the car stops again. And I'm like, oh, no, are they going to say something negatively or do something um, negative to Eric again? But Eric sees um, an adult black male in the car, and he's kind of asking for instructions. So Eric goes over, and Eric sees that the... Um, the male in the car is dressed uh, with more of like a feminine gender expression. So he has his nails done. He's wearing bright clothing. Um, and Eric even compliments him. Like, I think he says like, Your nails are fierce. Thanks, kid. For my advice, stick to the jewel tones. And they have like a really positive interaction. And I think that person in the car also seems very positive, seems very confident. And Eric is able to see a positive role model Um and a positive like expression. Yeah, and I like I agree. I love this scene. And something that really strikes me about this is just thinking about um, again, kind of a jumping off point for thinking about representation in the media or in the community. Um, again, Eric says that he's one of only two gay men in his school period. Um, he's the only black gay man that we know of at his school, and so he doesn't have a lot of role models. He doesn't have a lot of people that he can identify with in his community. But then, even thinking about broader, like in the media and society. There is a, you know, a very substantial gap in media portrayal of um, individuals in the LGBTQ community and especially like that intersectionality that Dr. Sam mentioned of much more underrepresentation of, you know, black or, um, you know, other people of color that are also in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, And so that's just such an important thing to think about in this context. 
I think that's a great point. It's really important to have positive role models and also for people, you know, youth during their development, but really people of any age. I think it's so important to see people that look like you and that you can relate to in the media and to have fair representation of what our world really looks like, right? Um, and the people that are in that world. I really like this quote from the actor who plays Eric, Chudi Gatwa, um, in an interview with IndieWire. When they ask him about his portrayal of Eric, he says, it matters that other little black boys around the world can be like, oh, Eric is like this and it's cool. And he's talking about his portrayal of Eric as an openly gay black male. And I just think that that's so awesome because he's right. He is playing a very positive role model for other kids and other people who will watch TV shows and see Eric and see like, oh, Eric is himself and that's awesome and I can be myself too. Yeah, that's a really good point. And so, again, we see, luckily, that there's a combination of factors that kind of lead Eric to kind of feel more comfortable expressing himself again. So between his interaction with this role model that he sees, and then there's also a scene with him at church, um, which is kind of an interesting scene where, you know, he really starts to pay, pay a little bit more attention to the importance of, like, self-love. Um, and I think those combination of things helps him feel, again, more confident expressing himself to the fullest extent um, uh, when he goes to the high school dance that we already talked about before this kind of absurdly elaborate um, and extra high school dance so eric arrives a little bit late to the dance because he's been kind of going back and forth in his mind about whether or not he wants to go and when he does arrive we see that he is wearing a suit made of kente cloth uh, made in ghana and a gele um, from nigeria and this is a beautiful ensemble i mean the colors and he has paired the outfit with gold heels he has on um, beautiful makeup and it's really kind of a statement for eric that he has found this kind of new like self-love and is open to expressing himself again and i really love that he's also chosen to um uh, kind of show his like heritage and background kind of using this beautiful clothing from his family um, and also just kind of putting himself out there, right? Like, this is who I am. This is how I like to dress. And I'm here at this dance, this crazy dance with the castle and where all my friends are. Um, and I think that this is a really important scene in season one because his father takes him to the dance. And so when his father drops him off, they have a very meaningful uh, conversation um, about um, Eric and how he is dressed and just Eric in general, really. Eric, wait. Are you sure you want to go in like this? Yes. Are you sure you're sure? Yes. Why? What's wrong with it? Wait a second, please. When I first came to this country, I, I, I had to do so much to fit in. I never wanted the same for my children. Okay. I, I wanted you to be proud and strong. But you are so different. It makes me feel scared for you. Your fear doesn't help me, Dad. It makes me feel weak. But why do you have to be so much? This is me. I don't want you to be hurt. <laughs> no, I'll be hurt either way. Isn't it better to be who I am? I told you to wait! I just shouted at that man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Maybe I am learning from my brave son. So I know that Dr. Fran and I both love this scene. We have chatted about this scene many times, kind of in our discussions of, the, of sex education. And I think it's just a really important scene because it kind of shows um, the father finally expresses himself and kind of says that a lot of his like insecurities or his um, worries about Eric and kind of trying to almost like dim Eric and his expression does come from a place of fear and kind of uh, worrying about Eric's safety. And I just think it's so insightful that Eric says, you know, well, this is me. And if you're saying I'm going to be hurt either way, like hurt for being who I am, and it also hurts to hide who I am, right? And so it's just better to be who I am. And I really, I really love this scene and that dad is finally able to acknowledge that, you know, Eric is right and Eric is brave. 
Yeah, I think, again, this is a good example of there's not like 0% affirming or 100% affirming. And even within this scene, we see dad make a few statements of like, why are you so different? Or why are you know, some kind of like, again, a little bit rejecting or invalidating. But I really love that Eric stands up for himself, like you said, like he's like, really standing up like this is me, like, I'm going to be who I am. And that really touches dad. And so we see kind of like Mm -hmm. the most touching moment that they have, um, where he's really reflecting on how brave Eric is and seems to really respect that and it seems to be kind of a breakthrough moment in their relationship which is really nice I agree and I think it might even be at least from what we see in the show like an opportunity where they're both being kind of more honest with each other where Eric is kind of saying you know like dad this is who I am like you're saying I'm too much you're saying I might get hurt this is who I am it hurts not to be who I am like this is me and I think that hopefully that kind of helps dad to also gain a better understanding of where Eric is coming from Definitely. And we also see Otis and Eric mend their relationship at the dance. Um, you know, Otis, I think, probably could. He has already tried to apologize. And, you know, he realizes that he made a huge mistake um, with Eric. And I think just a cute thing he says is that. I think you are the coolest, bravest, and kindest person I know. So um, it's kind of a really nice scene. And, um, you know, like Dr. Sam mentioned, I think Otis and Eric's relationship and friendship is really special and important. And so it's really nice to see that they're able to reconcile it and um, that Eric is able to um, kind of forgive Otis, even though he was kind of a shit friend um, (laughs) before. And hopefully Eric, or not Eric, hopefully Otis has also learned from his mistakes, right, to kind of be a more available friend and to not be so selfish and ask about others. I think he definitely respects Eric and he um, appreciates like how like brave and just awesome Eric is. So I think it's nice that they are able to, um, you know, repair that relationship and be best friends for the dance again. (laughs) Definitely. And so kind of to transition a little bit into another topic, we did want to note that, um, you know, without really sitting down and talking to Eric one-on-one, we can't really know what his gender identity um, really is and what he identifies as. Um, But what we do see is that he doesn't fully conform to gender norms and expectations. And so we wanted to use this as a little bit of a jumping off point to touch on a few areas related to gender identity and fluidity. And this is a topic we could talk a lot about. And so again, we'll probably post some extra resources for people who are interested in learning a little bit more about this topic. Um, Something I thought was really interesting, I believe this also came out of the Trevor Project, Um, youth across the country identify as more than a hundred different gender identities. Um, So that just kind of gives you a little bit of a snapshot into just how um, diverse and expansive gender identity can be and gender fluidity can be. And it's not just kind of transgender or not. There's just a whole host of different identities that people have. Exactly. And it's just so nuanced. Um, There's another great resource from the Trans Student Educational Resources, and we'll also have this on our website, but it's called the Gender Unicorn. Um, And I like to use it, you know, especially when we are working with more youth. I think it's a nice way to break down like certain facets of gender um, and sexual identity. So it kind of shows things as being on a spectrum related to someone's gender identity, their gender expression, which I know is something that we've talked a lot about with Eric. someone's sex that is assigned at birth, who someone is physically attracted to, who someone is emotionally attracted to. And again, all of these domains are on a spectrum. Um, So this can be like a kind of nice way to see like the various facets of someone's identity. Yeah, and so there is a lot of new kind of up-and-coming research in this area of looking at different gender expressions and um, gender fluidity and different things like that. The most um, kind of updated or kind of uh, the most robust research we have is typically on transgender and non-binary youth specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, We are getting more research recently on other gender identities, but that's kind of where primary some of this research, primarily most of this research comes from. Um, And what we do see among that research, again, this is coming out of the Trevor Project, and this is actually from a brand new journal article they recently published um, that youth who identify as transgender or non-binary report higher rates of perceived discrimination um, even compared to cisgender, lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, and questioning youth um, and are much more likely to report being physically threatened or harmed. Um, And then you know, kind of thinking about that unsurprisingly, um, potentially partially as a result of that higher level of discrimination and um, physical violence or harm, individuals um, who identify as transgender or non-binary are also two to two and a half times more likely um, to experience depressive symptoms and seriously consider or attempt suicide compared to cisgender LGBT or LGBT uh, counterparts. 
And so again, I think that these statistics are just really important to highlight, uh, like we touched on a little bit in the beginning, that there are some disparities in like mental health for youth in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and so it's important to know the risks and also to know that there are resources out there um, to help youth with, you know, affirm, affirming and accepting uh, therapy uh, if they are kind of struggling with things like uh, depressive symptoms or considering suicide. Yeah, and just kind of another note, thinking about Eric's character, uh, when we talked about intersectionality before, um, there's been some really interesting research looking at, um, you know, not only might there be transphobic or um, homophobic discrimination for individuals, but on top of that, 90% of black LGBTQ plus youth report experiencing racial discrimination. So we're really seeing that this group might be extra high risk um, for a kid like Eric or, you know, other youth like him or um, in a host of other kind of intersectional um, groups that this combination of um, different um, identities and different experiences can combine to have, you know, extra risk factors, unfortunately. And on top of that, unfortunately, black LGBTQ youth are also less likely to receive care. Um, so this is just another example of um, youth within this population, especially at this intersectionality of being black and being part of the LGBTQ plus community, um, being at higher risk and then not receiving, uh, not being as likely to receive care for these risks. So even if they had reported suicidal thoughts, um, there can be things uh, such as finances or also just finding providers um, that are competent and able to work with these youth. Um, so just something important to note there as well. Yeah. So, and in addition to Eric, you know, he's the main character we talked about today, um, but there are a lot of other characters throughout the show that represent different diverse sexual orientations. Um, for example, especially in season two, we are, we're really happy to see that there's several additional characters that identify as pansexual or bisexual. This is another group that's really often underrepresented in media. Um, and so I wanted to provide just some brief information about some research related to bi plus youth. So one really big study that came out in 2019 um, the Bi Plus Youth Report was, um, you know, this really big resource detailing the experiences of different individuals in the Bi Plus community. Um, and so what they found was that individuals in this community were far less likely to be out about their identities to people in their lives, and that the majority of them, almost 70%, reported being teased or treated poorly because of their sexual orientation. So really, again, we're seeing really high rates of discrimination among um, these sexual minority groups. Additionally, transgender people and people of color comprise a large portions of the bisexual community, um, which I think is really important to note, as we know that these groups are already more vulnerable to disparities that occur at the intersections of biphobia, racism, and transphobia. Yeah, and so um, some interesting information from Dr. Amy Green. She's actually the director of research at the Trevor Project, which is where a lot of our research has come from today. Um, I actually saw a webinar by her on intersectionality and some of these different topics, um, and she was really great and shared some really interesting information and talked a lot about different hypotheses for why transgender and non-binary youth, but also bisexual youth, are more at risk for mental health issues. So one, we see that the broader, although the broader society is becoming more accepting of lesbian and gay individuals, not all members of the LGBTQ community are as accepted. So we're seeing a, you know, improvement in acceptance for, for um, you know, lesbians and gay individuals, but not as much maybe for transgender or bisexual youth. We also don't see as much media representation of these groups, like Dr. Sam and I have talked quite a bit about today. Um, and then even within the LGBTQ plus community, there is still biphobia and transphobia. So we're kind of seeing that these are several reasons why these two groups in particular might be at higher risk for some mental health concerns and mental health disparities, which is why we wanted to spend a little bit of time highlighting them today. I think that this is all a lot of very important and eye-opening research. I'm really glad that we were able to kind of discuss it and find it um, through the Trevor Project and share it through the lens of sex education and able to really discuss the great characters and, um, you know, like as we mentioned, the diverse portrayal of LGBTQ plus youth through this show um, and discussing therapy as well, um, even though it was done by a 16-year-old boy. And so I think that this is a good place to kind of shift to our PH Don'ts. This is not a safe place. Sorry, are you, you going to like keep touching me like that? That guy is a total loon. But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. Oh, that's it. Great, great job, everybody. Thank you. Don't 
call yourself a therapist when you're actually a 16-year-old boy. Don't charge your classmates for sex therapy. Don't conduct sessions in a bathroom with asbestos or in a bathroom at a party. Don't do therapy in a bathroom. Don't talk about your client's sexual problems with other people. Don't talk about chinchilla and bat fellatio with your clients. That was hard to say without laughing. That was good. (laughs) So, Dr. Fran, that brings us to the end of today's session. And so I think we've had some clues throughout, but what are your overall thoughts on sex education? Well, if you guys didn't already figure it out, I really like this show. Um, I give it a big thumbs up. Uh, I think it was, you know, just a really good opportunity for us to talk about some really interesting and important topics and also talk about, again, like an interesting and unique portrayal of therapy. Um, You know, I think there's elements of Otis's therapy that I would give a, like, little thumbs up to, but overall, we kind of have to give him an automatic thumbs down because he's not a therapist. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, I have similar sentiments. I really like the show Sex Education. When we decided to do it for um, our next session, I binge watched the whole first season and then just kept going into the second season. So I really think it's an enjoyable show. I think there are so many things that could be discussed, you know, from like adolescent development, the relationships. Um, Obviously, today we chose to focus on the therapy and um, the the portrayal of LGBTQ plus youth. Um, But I do think that this is a show that has the potential to be covered in future sessions when we can discuss other things so I'm excited about that I'm going to be a little more harsh than Dr. Fran I think the therapy is a big thumbs down I just think you know that that's part of the problem in the media um, with psychology and with therapy you know he is calling himself a therapist he is charging that's obviously unethical and he has no formal like training or licensure um, unlike his mother Um, and I think that's kind of like a teaser into what's to come if he ever gets um, found out but overall love the show All right. Well, session's over for sex education. Let us know what your thoughts are on the show. We'd also love to hear questions you might have about psychology, what movies and TV shows you'd want us to put on our couch and break down next. Don't forget to check out our website, freudianscripts.com, for additional information and resources. Find and follow us on social media. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, our creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don.